Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you've chosen to press play on this podcast today. My name is Johnny and I'm part of the teaching team here at the Forge. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope that today's talk encourages you. I was 13 years old when I was first given the opportunity to stand on a theatre stage. Up until that point, if I was to ever go to a theatre or a pantomime, I'd always be part of the audience, and so I kind of had a good idea about what the front stage looked like. But it was the first time I was ever given access to the backstage. I had no idea up until that point how many rooms there were where people would get changed and ready for the performance. I had no idea how big it had to be in order that they could fit all the props in and things that would come onto the stage at just the right moment. I had no idea how many people there would be to direct direct where everything would have to go and uh, at the right time. I had no idea how dusty it was and often about how cluttered things were, how many wires there were being trailed around the place so that everything that would be put on the front stage would be as good as it could possibly be. Perhaps most entertainingly for me, I also realised that I could go from one side of the stage all the way to the other uh, and make faces at the audience and they would have no idea I was there because of a curtain that would be between us. I think for all of us in our lives, we have a front stage, a front stage which everybody can see and observe if they wanted to. I mean, this is the clothes that we wear. It's the things that everyone sees in our lives. It's our family. It's our spouse, perhaps. It's our reputation, it's our social media posts. It's all the things that people can almost judge us on. It kind of makes sense that we would want to spend as much of our time as possible working on our front stage so that people can see the best version of us that we can possibly give, so that people can see us as we want to be seen as maybe successful or good-looking or maybe just a competent worker or a good, calm parent. As well as a front stage, we also have a backstage. This is where all of the stuff that really matters belongs. I mean, it can be your financial situations. It could be the health of your relationships that only really you can know about. It can be insecurities. It can be habits or addictions. And I mean, it can also be good stuff. It could potentially be uh, skills or talents or abilities that only you know about. It can be that knowledge that you've got what it takes that nobody else believes that belongs in the backstage. I mean, it can be full of all kinds of different things that nobody can see. It could be filled with props from previous shows that you kind of want to get rid of, but you don't really know how to. And so it just kind of lingers there. And that's kind of all right because no one can really see it. We all have a front stage where people can see things and observe and judge us. And we've also got a backstage that nobody can see. Which part of the stage do you spend most time investing in? We all have a memory, perhaps, of a school show or production that we've either been to or been part of, where some of what belongs on the backstage or should have been sorted out behind the scenes makes its way onto the front stage and it's awkward, where it's just caused a bit of chaos and exposure. Those moments are awkward. They are exposing Uh, And people have to think quickly on their feet if they want to cover it up so that nobody really uh, notices what has happened. I mean, just check out this brilliant video of someone uh, doing a show where they're pretending to be Jesus ascending into the sky. Something that really should have been sorted out behind the scenes. Well, take a look. (laughs) 
when something that should have been sorted behind the scenes makes its way onto our front of stage, things can get awkward quickly as the whole performance is ruined. And yet many of us buy into this narrative that it's what happens on our front of stage that people see that's going to bring us our success or bring us our joy or value or plaudits or popularity or wealth or fame or whatever it is. And yet the more we buy into that narrative, the greater the anxiety is. I mean, consider that for a moment. Being one mistake away from something that was once hidden that gets exposed to everybody that completely ruins everything and the whole performance collapses. And the more we buy into that narrative, the more susceptible we are to our intrinsic vulnerabilities being exposed. I mean, think about it just for a second. Think about celebrities who perhaps have the best front stages of all. They're known for who they want to be seen as, either on social media or on TV or Netflix or whatever it is. And yet when they make a mistake, perhaps a mistake that loads of normal people might make in life, because everybody sees it and it ruins the whole performance of who they want to be seen as, their fall from grace is so large that they might never make it back to where they once were without that stain that everybody sees. When we buy into that narrative, there is a huge increase in anxiety, and it's just inevitable that it will fail. Maybe you recognise that. Maybe you're busting a gut to make sure that life looks good for everybody who sees you. Or maybe you're even someone where that curtain has fallen and things have been exposed and you feel beaten up and, and you're not really sure where to go from here. That feeling of shame and anxiety is a feeling that's described in one of the oldest stories we have in the Genesis account, the creation account, where Adam and Eve sin and they're exposed. And what they do as God is walking through the garden is they cover themselves up because they don't want to be seen as naked. And it's that feeling of nakedness that this idea leads to. The good news is, is that was never the way in which you're supposed to live. And at the heart of Christianity uh, and faith, there is a different way in which we can live. One of the examples of this is in the New Testament, uh, in a couple of letters that were written to a church that was situated in a city called Corinth. Paul was the guy who wrote these letters, and in fact, he also visited the city for himself as well. Now, many of you know the story of Paul, but Paul's story is phenomenal. He initially had this mission of wanting to wipe out the Christian faith in a brutal and murderous fashion. But after a phenomenal encounter with a risen Jesus, it completely changes his life around and he dedicates his life to launching these communities of Christians that we now know as the church. It's also worth noting that Paul grew up to become a Jewish leader or a Pharisee. And that meant some pretty significant things. I mean, first of all, it meant that he grew up with the expectation of knowing the laws and living in a really um, uh, disciplined way, obeying the law in the best possible way, in the way that he best possibly could. It also meant that he knew off by heart what we would now know as more or less the Old Testament, which just for reference is all of that. Paul knew the stuff, he did the right stuff, and he was known for being incredibly clever. And so if you were part of the Corinthian community, who was perhaps previously a Jewish community, Paul was your man. 
I mean, he knew the right stuff. He grew up in the right way, according to your culture. He met the living Jesus, who was the person that your faith completely revolved around. And he set up the church community that you now belong to. Paul was the man. And yet Paul's relationship with this church in Corinth was incredibly messy. In fact, after he launched the church, it only took a while before people started to question his authority, question his instruction and his teaching. They started to ask, well, who is Paul to be telling us what to do, in spite of Paul being instructed by Jesus to do just that? And so Paul goes and visits them, and that gets kind of messy as well. And so he writes them a second letter. And in this second letter, he addresses the people who had become cynics of him, who started to question his authority. And now consider this for a moment. If there was one person who could have utilized his front stage more than anybody else, it was Paul. He knew more than they knew. He had done things that they had not been able to do. He'd met Jesus in a way that they hadn't met Jesus, and he'd launched the church that they were actually part of. He could have said, I'm your man. What have you got on me to tell me that I am not in charge here? But what Paul does is completely the opposite of that. In fact, what Paul does is brilliant. Instead of focusing on his front stage, he focuses on the whole thing. He says to them, hey, can you remember that time that I met Jesus? That completely changed my life around, that put my own life at risk, that I had no reason to do what I did unless that moment happened. When I met Jesus, this is what he said to me. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I am delighted in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong." wait a minute, Paul, what are you saying? I think what Paul is saying is, I don't want you to judge me in the way in which you might expect me to want to be judged. I don't want you to look at my best parts, so where things go right with all of my qualifications. I want you to look at the whole thing, where my weaknesses are. I mean, I get things wrong as much as anybody else. I have insecurities just like everybody else. Things go wrong for me just like everybody else. And that's okay because it's what Jesus has done with my mess that matters and that really shows what's most important. It's what Jesus is doing in me that nobody else can be part of that really matters. It's what Jesus thinks of me and how he's accepted me, knowing what everything looks like, even the stuff that you can't see that matters most, so I don't need your approval, thank you very much. When we go by this narrative, where we know in our weakness we are strong, things start to change. Anxiety loses its grip a little bit. That we know that it's in our weaknesses where things don't go right, in our vulnerabilities, that that's where God can be seen the most, where God can do a work in us and through us in a way that perhaps he wouldn't before. It's in those moments that we learn to cling to God in ways that we wouldn't before, rather than trying to deal with it all ourselves. that we learn to get close to our Heavenly Father. One of the fundamental aspects of the Christian faith is that its power does not come in what you can offer, but in what you can accept. Listen to Beth's story. 
Beth shares a story about where fear was in her life and that recognition of fear leads her to getting close to her heavenly father. Take a listen. My name's Beth and I work at the hospital as a neonatal nurse. Um, I guess in terms of how my job works and how my life is, it hasn't changed dramatically. Um, I'm still going to work every week. There's still babies being born as usual, so we're still there doing what we normally do, um, just with some extra precautions in place, like face masks and goggles. In the grand scheme of things, I work in a relatively low-risk area in terms of coming into contact and um, looking after patients with coronavirus, which I am really grateful for. Um, but there are times um, where we are at higher risk or we do have those patients at higher risk and it does make me and my team really anxious. It does make the job harder sometimes because um, there's, there's this fear that nobody wants to be the one that's chosen to look after that patient. Um, but I guess it is part of the job. It's what, it's what I signed up for when I became a nurse. Um, I didn't know there'd be a giant pandemic to ease in, but hey, it's, it's what I do, it's what I've been trained to do, and I just do it the best I can. Every day when I pull into the drive at the end of my shift, um, I pray to God that he will keep me and Alex safe, and I'm thankful that we are still safe and that we are still well. Every evening or morning when I'm driving home from work, um, I, there is a, a little part of me that's scared I'm scared that somehow I've, I've picked up some germs and I'm going to bring them into the house I'm going to make my husband Alex sick. Um, it's, a really, it's a really horrible feeling. I guess I'm thankful to God every day that um, the career path I'm on is in the low risk area. Um, it sounds really silly but I am really, really grateful for my job, I love my job and I appreciate and pray for every single one of my colleagues um, in the NHS and in care homes who are looking after the patients who have got the virus and are, who are really sick and are exposing themselves to that. There's people um, in my family who are working in higher risk areas than I am and every day I'm just thankful to God that my family are all safe and all well. In spite of fear came faith, and in the midst of weakness, God showed strength. And when we learn to live for an audience of one who knows our front stage as well as our backstage, the anxiety of what other people think starts to loosen its grip. The place where we find our value and success comes from a place that is far more certain and steady. When we learn to show our vulnerabilities and share our shortcomings, God can work through us and in us for others in a way that perhaps wouldn't have otherwise happened. When we start to learn how to be vulnerable with others and share our shortcomings with others, then that whole trap of comparison starts to disappear as well, as we no longer start to compare our behind the scenes with everybody's front of stage. When we learn that in our weaknesses, God can show strength. We start to cling on a little bit more and we grow close to our Heavenly Father. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to honestly answer this question. And I really want to encourage you to write it down because when you write it down, it becomes real and tangible for you. Answer this question for me. What is it that I am hiding from the world that God might want to use to help others or used to bring change about in me? 
What is it that I am hiding from the world that God might want to use to help others or use to bring change about in me? Remember this, one of the fundamental aspects of the Christian faith is that its power comes not in what you are able to offer, but in what you are able to accept. In our weaknesses, we become strong. It's time to reveal some of our backstage. It's time to go no filter. So I invite you right now with others all around the country and even around the world to come and sing our final song together. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so why not check out Forge Church UK on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram? Or go online at forgechurch.com where you can watch other content, find a next step, give financially, or see any details of what's currently going on in and around the Forge. We're looking forward to you joining us next time.